And so that's Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And um, we'll begin there. I know we're going through Acts. Um, as um, I, I usually, you know, not love that I have this huge, great history or anything, but even with the youth and stuff going through, I, I've, I rarely change uh, going through verse by verse for um, a Sunday morning or something, or especially a Sunday around Christmas. So this is a little different. We're going to kind of look at Jesus' birth and the things going on surrounding it. Um, I did think it was a little more appropriate for those who know where we're headed next in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, figuring, it, um, yeah, that might be good for another day. Um, if you don't know what Ananias and Sapphira are, be sure to come back um, and then be convicted. Um, and so, anyway, so we'll be in Acts or Luke chapter 2, verse 1, starting there. And now it's kind of interesting... Um, of what we think of Christmas. Now, you know, many times there's things which, where we have a preconceived idea of what we thought, but what was really needed or what was really what we need is different, you know? I can think of back, um, you know, there's certain things, especially when you're younger and you see the TV ads and commercials, we, we've rarely had um, normal TV in our house, in a sense, we've, with commercials and those things. So when our kids were young and we'd go to the dentist or something, they'd have the TV playing, there would be a commercial. My kids would be sold in a heartbeat. They weren't like, you know, they, they weren't inoculated or whatever, used to commercials. It's like, we have to get this. It's in the world if we don't. But, you know, me as a kid, we, we had commercials and stuff and, and, you know, whatever, Saturday morning cartoons. And I remember there was never, as a child growing up, one of these toy robots that ever lived up to what it was supposed to do as the commercial, right? They're always depressing. It's like, come on, this thing, you know. And now there probably are some robots that are worth it. I just can't afford them. But, you know, it's just one of those things. They weren't what you thought. And many times in life we come up against some things like that. We come up against something where we had a preconceived of ideal of something we wanted, a goal we had, something we were living for, and it didn't line up the way we thought. And sometimes we can come at that with uh, the thought of a Christian life and, and salvation and those things and, and having these expectations of what God's supposed to do and what ministry is supposed to look like, what my household's supposed to look like, how these things might are supposed to function and it doesn't line up that way and we're going to really see that this morning with mary and joseph and and the way jesus came in the way he chose to do things the way god had designed things to be and the importance of that you know um and at the same time you know we we can focus on things that are that are short term you know i remember going up to family camp um with with calvary modesto years ago and i you know spent most of the time setting up our campsite. It was ready for a hurricane. It could have survived anything. And then we tore it down by the time I was done. You know, it was building something up to only leave, to leave, only to leave. It, it wasn't going to last. I, I was, you know, it was being invested in for the purpose and it ended up not what was needed. And many times we can look at these things and we can think, okay, you know, these are needs in our lives. You know, I mean, these, the life, this, this life, what I thought I expected, what I thought I needed, what I thought, it isn't there, and, and it seems like I'm lacking a need even. You know, we can even take it from that category of a want to a need, and many times I think we don't even really slow down to realize what our needs are. You know, I, I put together this whole tent, and there was a possibility of thunderstorm stuff, and it never rained hard enough for the water to come down and do what it thought it was going to do. I didn't need to do all that. I, I wasted a lot of time. And, and in our lives, we can do the same thing. We can be so focused on what we think is a need, but it, it's not. It's not what's coming. 
you know. Um, the Bible says in uh, Peter, Second Peter 1, 14, he says, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent as the Lord Jesus has showed me. Meaning he knew his time here on this earth was coming to an end and he considered his body a tent. And if you were to sit down and think of your life here and now as just that tent, how much effort do you put into the tent compared to the house? You know, you see people set up and they set up a uh, you know, fifth wheel or something so they can build their home. And at a point, you can only set up your fifth wheel too much and you've got to start working on that house or it's pointless, you know? If, if you build the, you know, if you end up building the mobile home for last forever or whatever, your, your fifth wheel and you never work on the house, you're going to end up living there forever. It's, it's not good. You have to switch gears at a point and really consider these things. And so when you really slow down and consider what are the needs in our life, and the value of it, I mean, the first thing you go, okay, what are your needs? Well, I need food, I need water, I need this, I mean, you know. Well, again, those are things that take care of the tent. And if the future isn't taken care of, if your future far as eternally is not taking care of your eternal home, then you need not to focus on any of that until that's taken care of first in that relationship with God. And so, so many times I think we can get distracted by the needs, what we say are needs, and not focused on the eternal things. And so in our life, as we look here, and it's really evident, there's certain things you would assume that would be a need for a child to be born into this world. That would be definitely things you would not, none of us would want to be in the situation as we go through the story this morning of what happens. And so God's plan, though, many times does not look like what we think it should. You know, and so in verse 2, we start and it says, and it came to pass in those, or chapter 2, verse 1, it says, and it came to pass in those days there was a decree that went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first census that took place, Aquarius, the governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. So in those days, it says... At this time, this Caesar Augustus, at this time with this governor in this place, you notice it didn't start off and said a galaxy far, far, far away somewhere, or once upon a time. These are actual events that happened. And so, so many times we can sit there and we look at the Christmas story and these things and we go and we make their story. It's a fairy tale. It's like Snow White and Seven Dwarfs. It's like, you know, Cinderella. We, we start to look at it as a story instead of actually what God's word said. And, and it really has morphed into more of a story. You know, listening to these, these young kids on that video there show, you know, it's like, yeah, they lack a lot of facts and you would expect them to, you know. But the funny thing is they had more, probably more facts than a lot of the adults did. You know, you sit there and you look at it. Simple things like three kings. There's no three kings. You know, I, I've, I've joked about it before, but if you think of, okay, the value of what they brought, okay? I want you guys to take some gold, okay? We'll just take one of the gifts, okay? Be a king and walk through Stockton by yourself. Nonetheless, with two other kings with valuable goods. You know, you don't, you don't do that. You know, you have a whole entourage. The King Herod didn't take them out, you know. And they would have come years later. So if you have your nativity set up, I'm sorry, I'm wrecking it. You need to take the wise men, probably put them about two years away from the rest of them, travel time. You could probably figure out how tall they are, how long that would take, you know, and really space them out there. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things. We've, we've come to these things, you know, and sing songs about these things. And, I, I, you know, some very pretty songs have been around hundreds of years, you know. 
I mean, women can all agree with me, silent night is not the way it happens. You know, childbirth, it just isn't, you know. Um, and these things, so to look at these things, but what's interesting, it, it's a time and it's a place, it's a reality. There, there's real, real life there, you know, and, and even this lifestyle would have been foreign to us. The level of comfort we have, the medical care we have, and all these things would be different. But what was interesting about this time that is very much, or very clear kind of in a sense of our time is, this time when Caesar Augustus was reigning, when he was ruling the world was a very, uh, the first real glimpse of peace for a long time for most of the known world. He, Rome was in control, it had power, and from that power comes a time of peace. There's one governor, there isn't switching over, there isn't things. Most likely Joseph being from uh, Bethlehem wasn't continuing as a shepherd in Bethlehem because of wars, because it was close to Jerusalem. It would have been where they laid siege to Jerusalem, where the enemies would have been camping. It would have been a real rough area to live outside of Jerusalem in those times when there were wars going on and stuff. So, you know, what, what is a family of shepherds that would have had um, right by birth in Israel to this land that would not be taken away from them from family living somewhere else and working as a carpenter. You know, it kind of brings those things. Well, it's because all the wars that would have happened before. But now there's this time of peace and enough of a time of a peace where, you know, one of those things in time of peace and to show your power, I mean, if you, if the United States government and said, okay, all of you have to be, go home to the place where you were born, be counted and taxed, okay? How do you do that? If, they, if the U.S. government tried that now, you realize the chaos they'd have, the riots they'd have, and everything else? Me, I'd be going to Missouri. Some of you guys would probably be driving down the street. Other of us got to travel a ways, right? And so, but for to, one thing to request it, right? But if you're requesting it, you must have the power to back up what you're saying. You must have the authority. So there's this time of peace, there's this authority there, but yet, even in this time of peace, it kind of reveals a greater need. What's amazing is, when there is a struggle just to survive and wars and things going on, our need is to survive. There's a, it's real clear, it's just making it to the next day. But when you slow down, there's sometimes a time of prosperity and you're doing well like we are in the United States. Now, even though many probably would not want to admit that with the president we have, you know, that this is a time of prosperity and the things that are going on, there becomes a real evidence that this isn't it. There isn't a real peace. My soul still longs. There's something off. I realize who I am. It's not, I don't, I'm not so focused on just surviving that suddenly I realize where my heart is in those situations and that I'm in need of a savior. And so with all this power going on and this time going on. In verse 4, we continue on. It says, And Joseph also went from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So Joseph and Mary, as we in the scripture reading, they're there, they're put in a very pain, awkward situation, a very um, socially unacceptable situation. She is with child before they are married. It's going to be evident that she's with child before they are married. And you can imagine, you know, that discussion that went on. Mom, Dad, I'm going to marry this girl even though she's pregnant. 
well, she, it's okay, she's pregnant with God's baby. So she's not just pregnant, she didn't just get knocked up by somebody, she's insane too. Great, great son. Have good, you know, th- this would have been bad. I mean, you can imagine the tension in the family. Number one, I mean, his first thought was to dismiss her quietly without having her killed. You know, the, 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 it's, you know nowadays we're, we're more, sadly more common. It wouldn't have happened. They would have been a disgrace. They would have been outcursed. He could have lost his inheritance, every right he had. And, and same with her. They, they have been put in a rough situation just by this one fact. And so now they have to leave and go to Galilee and, and be there. There's nothing, we have nothing that says she had to be traveling with him at this time. She could have possibly stayed behind. A lot of times the women wouldn't have gone on a long travel like this. It might have been because she wanted out of there. There, maybe there was no family left to support her. You know, do you put your pregnant wife on a horse? You know, and, you know, Joseph, though, being a godly man, he, you know, he got in the Bible, read and said, prophecy, we got to go to the city of Bethlehem. This is where the child's got to be born. Let's pack up. Honey, I'm going to throw you on an 80-mile donkey ride. Let's go. This will be a nice, you know, way to get things going. You know, and no. You know, God knew what was going on. God knew before the foundations of the earth. God had timing in these things. You know, and he's outside of time, and all the power of Rome and the whole government and this decree didn't have anything to do with what God was already going to do. You know, when God, God is God. God is the creator of life. He's the designer. He holds everything in his hand. He holds everything together. He's in currently involved with every aspect of it from the beginning to the end. It is his plan and his timing. And I mean, you can sit there. Could you imagine sitting there and Joseph and Mary go, okay, we're sitting here, we're finally this, and now we got to get up and leave? This is the wrong time to go. You know, we, you, know you think of all the things that, that you know, we sit there and, and, and God is God. God has a plan. You know, it's so easy to slow down and go, oh, yeah, I know who God is, to realize that he is the author and he's in everything. There's so many times we get in situations where that's like I said, my, you know, my favorite verse in the Bible, oh, what's your life verse? Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. He's in control. Because there's so many times I struggle with that. So many times I think, no, God's out of control in the situation. Somehow this didn't fit in his plan. He didn't design me, didn't create me, didn't, you know, he isn't all powerful. It's my way, you know. And you sit there, but God knew what was going on. It did not matter what the Roman government was doing and, and Caesar Augustus. God was working in it. It was his timing and his plan. God is God. You know, it doesn't, you know, and, and it's funny how many times we can think we, we're God. We have some kind of control over our lives. You tell me, which one of you chose where and when you were born? And now tell me which one of you choose where and when you're going to die. No, we're not in control. God is God. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He's a, he, he is the author of our lives. And yes, we do have some effect through the middle of it for eternity and those things. But ultimately, he needs to be in control of our lives. And those are the most important things. The number one need we have is to be born and exist. Number two thing is when we die, where we're going after. That is the only needs we need to focus on. And now God has a plan, you know, and so many times we can sit there and look at our life and go, well, God, this doesn't seem to be working out. I don't see how you're in control, you know, but God is in control. And some of you, that's really good news. God's in the control because he's Lord of my life. I love him and I trust him. Others of you go, no, I'm an enemy with God. I don't have anything to do with God. I don't have a relationship with God, and I'm not really, you know, up for what his plan is. And that's bad news. 
But if God's God and he's the lawgiver and over Rome and all these things, he's in control, what does that mean? It means he's in control. And it doesn't matter if you agree with him or not. He knows what's going on. He has a plan. He loves us is the other important thing. And we look. Verse 6, it says, And so it was that while they were there in the days were completed for her to deliver. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, my first thought is an 80-mile donkey ride. That's a good way to induce labor. I mean, my wife, we did some walking around the neighborhood, kind of less, you know. She, Heidi was, man, it was bed rest until it was time. And the second was time, Nothing was going anywhere. We had to jump up and down and, you know, the first two induced, Alex was two weeks late. You know, there was nothing. You know, maybe we should have took an 80-mile donkey ride and I probably wouldn't be married today, but kids would have come out on time. No, I mean, you sit there and you look at it, but at the same time it says, now the days were completed for her to deliver. So this might not even been the first day they got there. might not have been the first week. They could have been there for some time, right, before she delivered. But what we do clearly see in Scripture instead of kind of what we've thought and has happened as we look at the scripture here, right, is what we clearly see, look with me in verse 7, it says, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swallowing cloths. Now, it's interesting to think, this was Dr. Luke who interviewed, most likely, Mary, get this account you you think he would be interested in details was it breach was it this was it that and the real clear in the scripture here is she she delivered him she brought him her him forth and she swapped wrapped him in swaddling clothes this almost even at this point we don't even know if joseph is present when the birth took place maybe he went to the store and got back, and there's a baby. I mean, who knows how quick the labor came on. She was a young, most likely, probably no older than 16 at this point, and, and having a, a child. But she gave birth, and she had to pick the child up and wrap, wrap it in little, literally strips of rags that would have been used for several different uses, but you know, not clothes, not really prepared clothes, in a sense. Okay? And she laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. So you, you think of this scene and, and, and to do that and to be there, to be alone and, and in this situation and, and put him in a manger. You know, mangers aren't what we think they are. This little cute wood thing with hay in there and you got the animals and everybody's there and it's all silent and the animals are even got smiles on their faces. No. Okay, now ends back in the day were usually a square building. They had two floors. They had one floor for the animals to hang out in the bottom and a second floor so you'd be up a little above the animals and you would kind of camp along the upper wall. Sometimes they'd have a roof, sometimes they wouldn't. This word end means literally it could be translated upper room. There was no upper, there wasn't room up there. Most of the time, the, the troughs, especially in this area, the cost of wood and what animals like to do with wood and eat costly wood, you wouldn't have a trough made out of wood. You would have it hewed out of a stone, okay? And then hewed out of a stone, well, it would be drinking water, eating. Have you ever seen a horse trough? 
after the drink and everything else floating there? Okay, it's not clean, but how do you clean it with a hose? Oh yeah, that's right, they didn't even have hoses back then. This thing was pretty, probably pretty stinky and dirty and there, and most likely it wouldn't even be within the quarters of the inn, it would be on the outside wall. So there wasn't room in that structure, most likely, if there was one there, it would be on the outside. Some say, well, back then in Bethlehem, there wouldn't have even been an inn. Others argue, oh, yeah, of course there would have been an inn because it was so close to Jerusalem. Even though it was a small city, you'd have these travelers stopping on their way in. You know, it's kind of like, you know, on the way back from Southern California, we're going to be stopping and sleeping at uh, Mojave, you know, because it's a great location. No, it's just because it's a good spot at the side of the road to get off. Somewhat safe spot of the road to kind of get off. But you know, same thing, okay? So you have it, but they're really there, and it would have been a busy time if there's people there, and there's a lot of people there. She's there, so she's in an alleyway. Maybe Joseph is holding up a blanket to cover her from those who are around, you know, late at night, crying. And also a very scary thing. We're used to the medicals and medicines and all these things, to have a child back there was very risky. If you made it, if the baby made it, if either one of you would make it, it was, you know, you think about all the medical clampsy and all the things you go on and all the worries you have when you've, if you've ever been to the doctors with your wife and they're going through the procedure and they're checking all this, to have no midwife to deliver your own child was a very scary thing. You know, to overhear it, it's something you might not want to be part of and go down and, and the crowd around as that, that goes on in an alleyway, in a cold place, alone. You know, no family around, none of those things, in a, in a foreign place, on the street. You know, it's one of those things, so, you know, to slow down and go, okay, what did this real nativity scene look like? What is the picture? If you were to put together the movie in your head from this and what we have, you have a young lady and a young man, and they've traveled, they've been there for however long, they cannot even get into the hostile, if you would. You know, they would have had some gear from sleeping on the road. It took several days to get there, probably four days to get there to begin with, and they're on the side of an alley, and there's a, a watering trough where they lay the child, and, and you're there. You know, the angel before and the scene before would have come really dim in that point, right? Would you be thinking back and going, yes, this is the Savior we've just had, honey? No, you're thinking, if this is a Savior, we've blown it. We're in the, why here? You know, Mary said, you know, whatever your servant. She was probably thinking, okay, there's going to be a temple, there's going to be ceremony, there were ceremonies for circumcision, all this stuff, and we're going to have a baby in a palace, this is going to be weird, you know, maybe like an Esther thing, or I don't know, you know. And, and not this. At this point, I'm thinking you're really doubting if this is the Messiah at all. You're like, what, what's the deal here? You know, you talk about as a man feeling insufficient. Okay, here's God's son and all this. Lord, how are we in this situation? My new wife with this and you, I'm going to have to... Huh? Everything's wrong. This isn't right. Not the right place. You know? I, I, you can't help to think the question be, man, we've messed up, we've blown it, something we've done wrong. This, is, this isn't working out. Verse 8, And now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. You know, in my notes, um, after going through the Scripture and studying several times, all I had to do on this section to explain it was write shepherds. 
Because biblical shepherds were like our homeless of today. When they went through town, you were worried what they took with them. They weren't liked people. Their testimony in court was not allowed. You know, if you're going to go out and you're going to kill somebody you want to get away from it, away with it, just do it in front of shepherds. <laughs> Nobody's going to believe them anyways. They're not allowed to even bring it up. You know, shepherds weren't of any real value in society. They were, you know, if anything, loathed, not even looked down upon, loathed in that sense. Of course, it's interesting how David was a shepherd in these things, but you see them and they're there and they're keeping over their flock at night. Now, this does upset some people that they're keeping their flock by night because most likely that wasn't out on December 25th sleeping out with their sheep in the cold. Okay, but we got to pick a date, so that's a good one. Why not? I mean, ultimately, there's a lot of history to that, but, you know. But we don't know it was that night even, December 25th. So they're out there. They're at night. It could be summer or something like that, different time of year, and they're watching their sheep, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shrouded around them, and they were greatly afraid. So you're out there. You're some shepherds, you're watching the sheep, you're talking with some other your shepherd buddies, only people that like you, and suddenly you have this alien experience, like right, this light, these angels, you know what I mean? And you're afraid. Good reason to be afraid, right? Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Now it's interesting, you sit there, and so the angel sits there and says, hey, don't worry, I bring you good tidings and great joy that to all people. How many people? All. Okay. So it's a good thing for me. I'm glad I fit in that category. And so this great joy, this tiding that comes to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Again, who's born? A Savior, right? Christ the Lord, the Savior and Lord. It's kind of interesting when you sit there and you look like that. He is both Christ and Lord. The name Jesus and those things, sometimes many people think it's Mr. Christ or something or Mr. Lord. No, it's his title. It's the, the, it is the ruler, you know? It, it's like there is, there is the king is born, our Savior and king, the ruler to come. And this will be a sign to you. You will find this babe wrapped in swallowing clothes, lying in a manger. Now there comes a shocker, right? The alien, the alien invasion of angels peering in for you and freaking out. Of course, they didn't understand aliens back then. I mean, now that's probably what, if some angels showed up to you in the middle of the night, that's what we're, I'd probably, ah, Area 51 or something, you know, would be my first thought. But, you know, they have this huge sign, and then they say this thing that seems contradictory. The Savior, the Christ, the Savior, the Lord, the King, the ruler of all the world, the one we've been looking for is where? Wrapped in swallowing clothes, lying in a manger. Well, that's definitely not where we'd think we'd find him. And it would definitely be a sign. Why is it a sign to them? Because it's not normal. But number two, it's also a sign to them of what? The sign, again, God wasn't making a mistake. He had this plan. Why did he come so lowly? Why did he come and go to shepherds, the lowliest people? Why did he come for all? Because he meant all, 
And he's going to come in such a humble way that all would know, that even a shepherd would there. If the sign came, an angel stood before him and said, hey, it'll be a sign, he's over here in this palace, do you think they would go? No, they wouldn't be let through the gate. But he's, hey, he's born right where we're allowed to go. We're allowed to go. Nobody has a problem where a manger, we actually know where they're all located. We know where the best mangers are. You know, which one's he at? We can go to a manger where shepherds. You know, it's amazing that he came to be born in those lowly situations. It's more amazing that he came at all. That he was really lovingly giving up heaven, his position, his authority in heaven, willing to come down to be born in such a humble, sacrificial way, to live in such a sacrificial way, and then to be taking up that cross for us in the end in the same way. He went, came into this world with no reputation, with no palace, with no prompt, with no totally unjust for the king, the creation, creator of the world, to come into this world in that way. The king of kings to be born and to be brought into this world in such that situation. But also, he left in the same situation as a thief on a cross would have, as a murderer, as we would have deserved to go. Verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, glory Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. Now, if they needed some more convincing to get up and go, right? Okay, so you got an angel there, he's told you this? Okay, that's big. Now, suddenly, whole heaven rolls back, and you have this whole heavenly host, this army of angels sitting there, and they start to, they sing this, you know, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. What an awesome thing to think. You know, so many times we can look at our lives and think, man, if God was to stand before me right now, it would be a lightning bolt. It wouldn't be peace to men and goodwill towards you. And no, it'd be, cook me alive, Lord, I'm such a sinner. In this case, you see that though, God's heart, I mean, to walk into this world, to this corruption, to see all the sin and destruction and everything else, he has goodwill. His plan is to come, come lowly, and even come all the way to the cross. What an awesome message. And so, verse 15, it says, And so it was, when the angel had gone away from them into the heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, Let us go, or let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, at this point, what's interesting about this, we know later that when the wise men come, the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders in the area are asked, hey, where is this, where is this king of the Jews supposed to be born? Oh, he was supposed to be born here about this time. Where are they at? Where's all these leaders waiting for the Messiah? Well, why don't they come? You know, could you imagine if, hey, Jesus' second return is going to happen on, you know, 2020 at, you know, January 4th, which is my birthday, for the heck of it. And, and it's going to be right there on the Mount of Olives. He's going to touch down and nobody shows up. You know, there's a couple guys out there that you would have thought, you know, I hope, you know, guys parking next to him in the parking lot sees that guy and goes, man, I hope this guy doesn't steal my car stereo. And that guy's like, hey, the Messiah's up here. We were told by an angel. It's like, yeah, sure. You know, you, you think of that. And at the same time, though, you think of 
what a comfort to Mary this must have been. Right? You think, I blew it, we messed up, this is horrible. And then you get some shepherds to show up. Not the entourage you were thinking. But these shepherds show up, yeah, we're here to see, this is the Messiah. Well, who told you? Well, we're out in the field and these angels came. And then all the heaven opened up. And they're there. I mean, up until this point, Mary and Joseph haven't heard from God in quite a while. At least nine months, right? And they're sitting there and there. And then suddenly this encouragement, this truth of, wow, nope, this is God's plan. He said, the angel said, we would find him here. Well, we went to the palace, didn't find him there. So we've been searching all night. And luckily, we decided to stop for some water. And there you were. No, we came looking for him here. What a comfort. A little scary, but what a comfort, right? You think of that, you got that scene. And it's not, you know, silent night. It's scary night. Shepherd's coming. Put your money away. I mean, we could come up with a better Christmas song. More accurate, at least. But, you know, you think of it, and they're there, and so what a thing. And in verse 19 or 17, it says, And now when they had seen him, they made widely known to, wide, made widely, yeah, widely known the saying which they told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at these things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things, pondered them in her heart. What's amazing, these shepherds are going around telling them people what's happened. They have marveled at it, but it's like, where's the crowd running over to find baby Jesus, you know? It's kind of interesting. But Mary pondered these things and kept them in her heart. I love that. She treasured them. She was holding on to them. Here's the promise of God. God is still working in this. And it's amazing sometimes when we go through and where we feel called and God calls us into ministry and there's certain situations where it just looks horrible. It looks like this is darkness. This isn't working. Um, you know, none of this is what I would have expected. This isn't the way it should be. And these things, and, and God speaks to you in that time and goes, no, I'm still here. You can trust it. And you treasure those things. There's been many times where it just seems like I am in a dark time, a dark place. And when God reveals himself, man, you hold on to that. And that time is so more sweet, you never forget it. You know, and that's where Mary's at. He, she's, she's, these are the treasures of her heart. She's holding on to these things. Here are these shepherds, the, the most unlikely people that you'd want to come even, are there and they're the comfort, they're the ones God uses. And they're the ones that get to go share God's Hey, this great announcement. You have them running around. You know what everybody else is probably thinking about these shepherds is, man, boy, did they get into the eggnog early or something. I mean, who gave them the bad wine? What's the deal with them? You know, they're all running around saying they saw things. Yeah, shepherds, you know, I don't know. Who's, who, everybody check your wine cellars. You know, something's missing. It just amazes me to see how God works in these things in there. And many times... As we sit there and Mary and Joseph, you can imagine how dark of a time it must have felt, how scary of a time it must have been, how everything might have been seeming wrong, but yet God was working the most miraculous thing out. The greatest event in human history ever is happening. And then the shepherds, the shepherds turned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, and it was told to them. And so here these shepherds are just praising God for what they've seen and being part of. And, you know, so many times in the midst of, you know, struggles, family struggles and those things going on, health struggles and these things, we can just think, God, you have no clue what I'm going through. 
boy, you've missed it. You've forsaken me, and it's not the case at all. God's working in it. It's not what we thought it was, but it's what we need. It's what we're needing. It's what he's needing to do because he's accomplishing something so great we couldn't even imagine. Maybe so many times we don't even see the end result of it. And that's what he was doing here. God's plan, God's real plan, to reveal his son in such a lowly, humble way. I mean, if it was me, I mean, if you were setting this up, if you were in charge of the birth of Christ, would you have ever gone here? I mean, no. We have all the angels sitting there in heaven, right? And they're getting ready. Okay, guys, everybody lined up. Good, okay. We got the song. Everybody got the lyrics. Okay, we're going to open up heaven. And whew, and all you hear is, bah, and a couple shepherds. Wait a minute. We've been running for this. We've got a couple legions of angels, and we have some shepherd and some sheep. You know, and it's an interesting to see. What is also kind of interesting about these shepherds of being so close to Jerusalem these were most likely the shepherds that tended the lambs that went for the sacrifice to the temple. Kind of interesting in that sense as well. Here you have the Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice, and they're the first ones to see it, the ones who would have most likely attended the sacrifices that would have been used in the temple service. But I'm so sure when Mary said, I'm your servant, Lord, use me, her heart was willing, but she had no clue what was coming. And sometimes you guys sit down and you can look at things going on in your life and go, man, I had no clue what I signed up for. God, I don't know. The other side of this seems scary, but yet God is working in it. God is working in it. And even if your basic needs fail, even if you run out of water and you starve and you die, and you think, oh, Tim, that's harsh. How many times has that happened to Christians persecuted there wasn't a freeing from the jail that has happened. You look at the, the, all ten of the disciples that were put to death, martyred. And you go, wait a minute, where was their deliverance? Their deliverance came when the Savior was born because he had already planned to be died and pay for the cross and the sin. At this point, the only thing you need in this world, the only thing you need to get out of this world is to be saved and right with God. That's it to have peace with God, to be able to walk into eternity with joy and with confidence. That's all you need. You know, stop, you know, so many times we can start working on the tent, worrying about the tent, and, and I, mean, you, I mean, some people go, Tim, you're crazy. You're telling me I'm not going to worry about what you eat tonight. No, not if that's not taken care of. And how many times will we sacrifice or justify sacrificing what God has told us to do because, oh, I got to take care of the tent. I know that because I've done it. You know, repeat it. Well, the tent, you know, this and this. God, I would be loving it and I would do that, but the tent needs more help, you know. You know, in the name of loving my family, by making sure they have food, I'm going to neglect them spiritually. Ooh. And so those things, and you see Christ and what's important, he's given us everything we need. You know, sometimes when everything seems wrong, you know, that he was willing to come. You think of when we were going through the last part of Luke, looking at the cross, and how Peter must have been sitting there thinking, everything is going wrong. The Messiah is being crucified. This isn't right. It's wrong. And again, Mary, even sitting there, knowing this was going to be the Savior, hearing it was going, thinking, this has gone wrong. Do you think at that point at the cross, she was treasuring those shepherds? Was she thinking back to that at the foot of the cross? 
going, I know, I know, I know. There was this, there was these kings that came. He is the Savior. Then what is going on here? You know, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. So all things work together for good. Don't forget the last part of that scripture. For those who love God, what does it mean to love God? It's one thing to like God, right? I like God, he's a good guy and everything else. I just don't like to do what he says. Do I love God? Do I wait for what he says? When he says, no, this is wrong, this isn't correct living, do I back that up? Or am I okay with it? What does real love mean? Do I love God's laws? Do I love the way he, he acts? Do I listen to him? Do I spend time with him? Or do I argue with him all the time? You know? Sometimes we argue, but what does it mean to love him and be called according to his purpose? He works those things out for good. Now, if Mary and Joseph weren't doing what God called and they were going through suffering, well, kind of happens, doesn't it? You know what I mean? But when you sit there and you love God and you sit there and say, yes, I love God, well, do you? Does it show up in your life? Does it show up in your heart? Does it show up in your there? Well, I love God, but I also like to love this sin. I like to love this other thing. I got a high priority for this and those things. No. Sometimes there's things, yes, that are hard in life and sometimes there's consequences or action. And if you're going through it and you sit down and you realize, man, I'm not, I'm not, this isn't going to work out for good because I am doing it. It's not God allowing these circumstances. Then repent. God, change my direction. Change my heart. I need to love you. Help me to love you. Help me to trust you. Even when I disagree with what your word says, help me to stand by it. When the whole society says, oh, this is okay, I'm going to say, no, Lord, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to be called according to your purpose. You know, and people go, well, why does God allow all this evil? Why does these things go on? Why do I have to suffer long? Second Peter 3.9 says, Lord, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. He's not slack concerning them. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. You know, so many times we go, why, why was it necessary for him to suffer and die the way he did? Because that's how salvation needed to come. That's how real love was going to be shown. You can sit down in your life and go, God, why do I have to endure this suffering? Why is this evil in this world? Why does that evil person allowed to, why have you allowed him in this situation for it to happen? Because God's working it out for good. He's willing that none should perish, that all should come to repentance. Is there any amount of suffering you would trade for one of your children seeing salvation and meeting that only need that matters in this world? What would it take? Would you rather live to be 100 or be martyred at 40? to know your children are in heaven. What, what repentance? God is going to long suffer. He's going to put up with it. Not that his promises and he's not righteous and all those things, but he is long suffering towards everybody else that you may know. It says towards us, right? Long suffering towards us. God is long suffering towards us. I'm glad he's long suffering towards me that I have time to repent, you know? And now that I've repented and got saved, I pray for the rapture tomorrow. 
and the rest of you, no. You know, sometimes that's what I say, God, okay, I'm saved, this world sucks, let's go. But no, there's others that still need to repent. I'm glad he's waited, you know. But so many times we see that. And so all these things sometimes can seem that are going wrong, you know, and that's really what, what's a Christmas story is what? God was willing to love us enough to lay aside heaven. But the reality of the situation he's come into was not a sanitary, even though it's not as sanitary as we would like, but a sanitary nativity scene. It was a lot worse. And why did he do it? You know, you talk about, well, man, I had a rough life growing up. Well, he had a rough life growing up. I guarantee most of you, all of you in here, especially these days, were born in a hospital, not a manger, not a dog bowl. Not, I mean, what's the equivalent today, you know? And you look at those things. And God was willing to come down lower. Like, why? To show you he loves us. And he's not going to leave us in this situation. He isn't going to, you know, it's not, he didn't put you through the suffering you're going through because he hates you. He was like, you know what, Mary, you're going to have my child. I'm going to be really mean to you now. Let's put you in a rough situation. Forget that, pal. I'm going to put you through. No. It was for her salvation as well. That's amazing, ain't it? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just who you are.